What is going on, guys? Devin Caswell here representing the Christian Minute, where we provide teachings and encouraging words all for the glory of God. So glad you guys are tuning in with us today. If you haven't already, make sure to follow on Spotify and on Instagram. That way you guys can stay updated on all our content and you don't have to miss anything. Um, today, I really just felt led to share an audio clip with you from a sermon that I shared a while back on forgiveness. And I really believe that this will leave you guys blessed and I don't want to waste any of your time. I know time is valuable. So let's just go ahead and dive in. Hope you enjoy. As I was praying about what to speak on for you guys and God seemed to be taking me multiple directions and the first direction that he kind of took me was to speak on intimacy. And so I wrote a whole sermon on intimacy, had it knocked out. I was prepared to speak on it. And then the Holy Spirit put something else on my heart, and he said, I want you to speak on how to bear fruit, which was something I've never heard before. But I started prepping for that. And the past few days, God switched it up on me again, and I felt like I'm supposed to teach on something else. And so um, as someone who has the delightful honor of speaking from the pulpit, there are times when I get to teach on fun topics that inspire, encourage, and uplift, and make people jump out their seats. And then there are other times that require more courage. And when the Holy Spirit leads me to speak on topics that are heavy or somber, difficult to understand, but yet are of significant importance, today is one of those days. And today I will be talking about one of the most difficult things that we are commanded to do as Christians. What I have to say today may challenge you. It may stir something up inside of you, stir up emotions. It may be very difficult for you to receive, but I promise if you're able to accept what Holy Spirit put on my heart, you will walk out this building feeling stronger, more uplifted, and more in tune and, 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 and tender-hearted to those around you. So today, I'm speaking on forgiveness. Forgiveness is a fresh start. It's another chance. It's a new beginning. Forgiveness is the lifting of a heavy burden. It's the canceling of a debt. Forgiveness is the key that unlocks the doors of resentment along with the handcuffs of hatred. Some of us have those handcuffs on right now. It's the supernatural power that breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of rage and revenge. Forgiveness is not an option. It's a command. It's not something that Jesus passively suggests that we do. It's very clear in Scripture that forgiveness is of extreme importance. So much so that if we choose not to forgive, there are detrimental consequences. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 through 15 say, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. The consequence of us not forgiving others for their sins is God not forgiving us for our sins. And if you don't know already, we're all sinners. I don't read that verse to strike fear into you or to condemn you or to beat you up. I, I read that verse to explain the severity and the importance and the significance of what forgiveness is to God. As Jesus always is, he's the pr prime example of forgiveness. 
the last moments of his life on the cross, he still demonstrated the example of unconditional love and forgiveness. He was literally in the process of being killed by the Romans and being crucified, suffocating on this cross. When you're hanging on a cross, it, it, it cripples your lungs, so you're, you're suffocating. And so he was able to squeeze out these words, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. And you have to understand that Jesus was fully man and fully God. He had the power to wipe the whole Roman Empire off the face of the planet, but he chose not to. He could have sent his angels to, uh, with a heart of revenge to, to wipe out anyone who hurt him, but he chose not to. He chose to demonstrate that love and that forgiveness and that compassion. He chose to stick to the plan to redeem us, to, become, to be our Savior, and to die on the cross for our sins. And you guys can go ahead and just bring up that table if you want. I'm going to use it later. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay. So there's three important things that I want you guys to walk away with today. And so out of the three, the first one I want you guys to walk away with today, write this down if you're taking notes or just take a mental note of it, is that forgiveness requires faith. So... I have a video that I want to show you guys. Josh, do you mind running up and putting that on for me? And so in this video, uh, it's from the movie The Shack. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's a really good movie. I highly suggest you watch it if you haven't. Thank you, Ashley. And so The Shack is basically, if I were to give you a summary, is about um, a father whose daughter gets kidnapped and killed. And he has to walk through this process of learning to forgive this man who killed his daughter. And so in this scene that I'm about to show you, it's a scene with, his, his name is McKinsey. It's, it's with this man McKinsey and God the Father, and, and he's walking through this process of forgiving, um, forgiving the man who killed his daughter. So let's go ahead and throw it on. Redeem him. He should burn in hell. So we're back to you as the judge. You, you just let him get away with it. Nobody gets away with anything. Everything bears consequences. What he did was horrible. I'm not asking you to excuse what he did. I'm asking you to trust me to do what's right and to know what's best. And then what? Forgiveness doesn't establish a relationship. It's just about letting go of his throat. Mac, the pain inside is devouring you, robbing you of joy and crippling your capacity to love. I can't. You're not stuck because you can't. You're stuck because you won't.
don't know how. Just say it out loud. There was a few quotes that really stood out to me throughout that whole scene. And so I'm just going to be giving you guys different quotes and, and elaborating on them as we go. But the first quote that stood out to me was, and this is McKinsey talking to God. He said, you just let him get away with it. And God responded, nobody gets away with anything. Everything bears consequences. I love this because this is insisting that God is a God of justice. And the man that, who, that killed McKenzie's daughter in this scene is going to have to, is going to be held accountable for his actions when he faces God face to face. And so Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 19 says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. See, it's not our job to take the judgment seat. It says very clearly here that it says that it's, it's God's job to avenge, it's God's, God's job to, to repay the evil that has been done. See, Scripture tells us to love to turn the other cheek, to forgive, to have compassion, and to ultimately represent Christ. The next quote that really stood out to me is, this is God speaking to McKinsey. He says, I'm not asking you to excuse what he did. I'm asking you to trust me to do what's right and to know what's best. I think it's very easy to confuse forgiveness with trying to forget that something even happened, trying to forget. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is simply choosing to let go of that rage, that bitterness, that pain. It's choosing to let go of that. And like he said in that scene, it's choosing to let go of his throat. But forgiveness doesn't require reconciliation. When someone hurts you, you are not required to make amends with them. It says in Romans 12, 18, that verse we just read, it, it says, if it, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. But it's not a requirement. Yes, we need to do our best to forgive and try to make amends and, and to live in peace with one another. But if someone has hurt you very deeply and you can't associate with them, God understands that. 
So we still need to forgive and love them, but we don't have to keep interacting with them. And so the next quote that really stuck out to me is that, this is God speaking to McKinsey again. He says, you're not stuck because you can't. You are stuck because you won't. See, forgiveness is not easy, but it's possible. We need to make the tough decision to forgive just as Jesus has forgiven us. And so when I was in high school, uh, I played on my football team, and we would have fun little weightlifting competitions. And one of the competitions that we, we had when I went, just after practice one day was out of everyone in, in, on the team, we were trying to figure out who could hold 10 pounds above their head with your arms fully extended the longest. And so the thing is, is 10 pounds isn't that heavy. But after you hold 10 pounds above your head for 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes, that 10 pounds starts to feel like 200 pounds. And so after about 20 minutes passes by, it's just me and one other guy, me, me and my friend. And we're both, uh, we're both in a world of pain and a world of hurt. Our arms are shaking. Our bodies are aching. We're just, we're just barely holding on to this weight. But both of us are super competitive. And, both of you, and those of you that know me know that I'm super competitive. Uh, and there's a quote by Will Smith that I really relate to. He says, um, if... Uh, he says, if you and I get on a treadmill, one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to get off first or I'm going to die. <laughs> and so that, I feel like I just relate to that in the sense of like I'm super competitive. I, and so me and my friend are, are going at this and we're, we're holding this weight above our head. And all of a sudden, about 25 minutes in, I hear him let out a cry and he drops the weight. And he says, ah, and he drops the weight. And suddenly he's holding his shoulder. He had hurt his shoulder somehow, and everyone was comforting him and wondering what had happened. And then he comes back the next day, and it turns out that he had tore a ligament in his shoulder. And so there's one valuable lesson that I want you guys to get from this. Don't continue holding on to things that are hurting you because they will only cause deeper pain. We need to let go. Letting go is saying, God, I have been hurt by someone. I will strive to forgive them daily for what has happened. I trust that you are a just God and that they will have to account for their actions face to face with you. It's not my job to take the judgment seat, but rather to love, even if it means loving my enemy. I trust you and have faith in you with the situation, Lord. Give me strength to love and to demonstrate radical forgiveness just as you have done for me. There's this phrase in English that's used all the time. And, and people use it when someone is spilling the, something that happened in their life that really hurt them or something they're going through. And people will use this phrase to usually respond. And it, and it goes like this. It says, let go and let God. And yes, I agree with the concept of let go and let God in the sense of we can trust God with the situations we're going through. We can give him some of the weight, some of the burdens. But the thing about that response that really bothers me is it instantly belittles what the person's going through. See, when someone is going through a deep, something hard, something difficult, and has a deep pain and deep sorrow and deep unforgiveness in their heart about something, the last thing you, you can do is just be like, well, let go and let God. Like, it's, it's just not that simple. And... The other thing I don't like about let go and let God is that it almost, it basically is saying 
God have everything and I have nothing to do with this. And the truth is there needs to be action on our part of things. And so just to tie this in, there's another quote that God said to McKinsey. He said, you don't have to do this alone. I am here with you. And I love the realism of this quote. This, this scene showed God the Father putting his arm around McKinsey and getting on his knee in the dirt with him. And he's sitting here with him and he's comforting him. And this is what God does with us. He's in the middle of our situations. He's in the middle of our circumstances. He's right here with us the whole time. He does not leave us stranded. He does not leave us abandoned. He is with us. He doesn't, see, it's not just us casting our cares on him and then he's from some distance and we're just left to be. He is with us in the middle of all of our circumstances. But there is something that I want you to also notice from that scene. God didn't just take away McKenzie's suffering. McKenzie had pain that he was working through. He had things he was going through. God didn't just take that away. He showed that I'm here for you. I'm with you during this time. And you're not alone. But he didn't just take that pain away. That was something that McKenzie was still having to work through. So Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30 says, Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Have you ever wondered why Jesus used the analogy of a, a yoke? Like, usually when you think of a yoke, you think, either you think of a middle part of an egg, which is not what it is at all. But usually when you hear the word yoke, you think of um, a piece of farming equipment or a farmer doing really hard work. And in this scripture, God is using a yoke to de depict rest and ease. And so Jesus doesn't offer us an escape from our problems. He offers us equipment. He offered his yoke, which is a tool that is used to distribute weight between two oxen as they are pulling something. See, just as an, uh, a yoke distributes weight, that's what Jesus is using here. He's saying, hey, we're going to pull this thing together. I'm with you in this process. I will take some of that weight. I will take most of that weight. My yoke is light. My burdens are light. My, my yoke is easy and my burdens are light. And I will help take, <clears throat> excuse me, I will help take some of that weight and we will pull this together. I am here with you. You are not alone. We are going through this as a team. I love a quote uh, by a pastor in Portland, Oregon, named John Mark Comer that Anise introduced me to. It's really good. And he said, an easy life is not an option. An easy yoke is. So God is with us during these tough times, with these tough circumstances, these things that we go through. He is with us in the middle of it. He will provide a supernatural peace and a supernatural comfort in these times. We just need to trust him. And so the next quote, and this is McKenzie talking to God. He said, I'm still angry. And this is just after he had forgiven him. Just after he had said it out loud that he had forgiven the man who killed his daughter. He said, I'm still angry. That's easy for us to relate to. I mean, there's times when we're still angry 
when, when something happens and we're trying to forgive somebody and we're still mad and we're still bitter and we're like, God, why would you let this happen to my family? Why is this happening to me? I don't deserve this. They don't deserve this. We've been loyal to you and why are these things happening? I'm still angry. I'm still working through these things. And God's response to him says, no one lets go of it once. You might have to do it a thousand times before it gets easier, but it will. Forgiveness is not something that happens once. It is something that happens each and every day that we wake up. We have to make the conscious decision to forgive. We have to realize that forgiveness is a process. The more we do it, the more time that passes, the more we heal from the pain. Matthew chapter 18 verses 21 through 22 says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked the Lord, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And this verse is just showing that forgiveness is a continuous thing. It's a, it's a daily thing. It's something that we do each and every day. Because just because something happened to you and just because you forgave them once doesn't mean that the emotions of, and the bitterness and everything that's going on in our heart has faded away. It's a daily process. Do you have faith that God is a God of justice? Do you trust him with your situation and your circumstances? Do you believe that he is bigger than all the persecution that you face? Do you believe that his love and mercy is greater than our sins and the sins of others? I challenge you to trust God and to have the faith to forgive. The second thing that I want you guys to walk away with today is that forgiveness requires great strength and great humility. Jesus knew this above all else. Jesus knew the feeling of betrayal. He, he, his, one of his best friends, Peter, denied him three times. And this is a man. Peter was a, was a very passionate man. He, he, and he loved Jesus with all his heart. And he, and he said, Jesus, I would die for you. And then when the time came, he denied that he ever knew Jesus three different times. And so Jesus knew the feeling of betrayal. And he also knows the feeling of betrayal from the story of Judas. And in John 13, we see that Jesus knew Judas would betray him and hand him over to be killed. And so in this chapter, Jesus prophesies that Judas is going to betray him. He doesn't specifically say Judas. He says, one of you will betray me. And he knew, he knew it was Jesus, Judas. But later on in the same chapter, it shows him washing the feet of the disciples. And so two things are happening here. The first thing is that Jesus chose to forgive Judas before he ever committed the betrayal. See, Jesus does the same for us, No. When we sin, when we fall short, he already forgave us for that way beforehand. His grace and his mercy covers all of that. And the second thing going on here is just the humility. I mean, Jesus was all man and all God. And, I mean, he was even a part of creation. He, the same fingers that formed the Rocky Mountains are now massaging toes. The same hands that formed the stars in the universe are now 
washing the most filthy part of a human being, the humility that it took and the strength to wash Judas's feet, the man that would betray him. It's a beautiful picture. But about five chapters later, we see Judas betray Jesus, and Jesus is handed over to be killed. And it kind of leads us, there's the whole process of Jesus going through trial and leading up to his death, and the story kind of gets interrupted. The narrative kind of gets interrupted, and it's um, the story of Barabbas. And it's Luke chapter 23, verses 13 through 25. And it's a lot of scripture, but I'm going to go ahead and read it. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us as you can see. He has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they instantly demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into the prison for insurrection and murdered, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. So the first thing that I noticed right off the bat with this scripture is a single person in the crowd, not a single person in the crowd tried to stand up for Jesus. And beforehand, Jesus has been performing miracles. He's been loving on people. He's, he's been... Um, teaching parables and sermons and, and doing all these miracles and supernatural things. And then he's just doing great things out of love and mercy for people. And then when it's time for Jesus to be decided whether he's killed or not, no one, no one stands up for him, not a single person. Yes, Pilate was trying to argue from a logistic standpoint of killing him, like I don't see anything happened here. But not a single person in the crowd out of thousands of people that witnessed what he did and has heard what he's done, not a single person stood up for him. If you've ever wondered if Jesus knew what betrayal was like, he does, firsthand. And the second thing in this story that's very important to grasp is Barabbas. Barabbas was a thief, a crook, a murderer. He was a prisoner. He was someone who deserved the death penalty. He was worthy of the punishment that was to come. Whereas Jesus healed the sick, healed the leper, teach parables, show love and mercy to everyone he came across, and they want him to die. Barabbas is you and me. Barabbas is someone who has fallen short, has sinned, but yet was set free. Jesus set us free from our sins and transgressions. He set us free from our punishments. He took the punishment so we didn't have to. Jesus showed radical forgiveness, and so should we.
third thing that I want you guys to walk away with today is to know what is on the inside. And so 1 John 4, 4 says, You dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. What is in you is greater than depression. What is in you is greater than anxiety or stress. What is in you is greater than sexual or physical abuse. What is in you is greater than loss. What is in you is greater than hate, anger, or envy. What is in you is greater than loneliness. What is in you is greater than those who have hurt you and left you damaged. Or should I say, who is in you? Who is in you is greater than any sickness, any disease, any physical ailment or disability. He is greater than any sin or transgression. He is greater than any wound in our life. He is greater than death itself. Jesus lives inside of you and me. The one who conquered death, hell, and the grave. And if he is for me, then who can stand against me? See, Christ lives inside us, working through us, with us, and alongside us. And he's the one that makes it possible to forgive. He's the one that makes it possible to love and to show grace and to mercy. Without him, we wouldn't be able to. Let me pray. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we just come to you in this moment. We just want to feel your presence, that you're here with us in the middle of our circumstances, in the middle of our situations, Lord. Give us your peace. Give us your love. Lord, we just want to seek more of you because we know that when we seek you, we are able to love when it seems impossible. We are able to forgive and show grace and mercy and compassion even when it's tough, God. We trust you. We have the faith to forgive. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, amen.